Achieving a gorgeous grin from home isn't a total mystery with Byteclear aligners. Just don't be surprised if all of your sleuthing friends start asking, what's your secret? Begin by ordering your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95. Byteclear aligners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces. Plus, they offer flexible financing, accept eligible insurance, and you can pay with your HSA FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at That's Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot Start your confidence journey today with Byte. Welcome, everyone, another episode of Sharp Lessons. We are Stadium's number one sports betting podcast. He's the professor, Nate Jacobson. I'm Ben Wittenstein. We have a fun one for you today. We talked with Stadium College football analyst Michael Felder about uh, all of the games for conference championship weekend. So you'll get some really good information if you're looking to bet those games. Um, SEC, Big Ten, ACC, even you know some of the non-Group of Five games. He talked about Western Kentucky and UTSA. Uh, he talked about Appalachian State, Louisiana. So we got everything covered if you're looking to bet those games um, with our interview with Michael Felder, which we will play in just a moment. But just uh, some housekeeping things we wanted to talk about. Schedule change, Nate, that we're going to be doing. Um, we have been throughout the football season doing Monday, Wednesday, Friday, uh, the three days a week. And now we are going to be going to Wednesday and Friday. Um, so this will be a two times a week podcast for the foreseeable future, we did three days a week for NFL season and college football season because there's a lot of information we had to get to. But with college football winding down, Nate, I think we're just uh, we're going to do Wednesday, Friday. Yeah, definitely one of the, the keys of Monday's show was kind of looking at the college football early line moves that came out on Sunday afternoon. And now that the college football regular season's over, we aren't going to be able to do that anymore. So we'll just go Wednesday and Friday. Maybe we'll move some of the Monday stuff like NFL notable line moves to Wednesday's show to, to start it off but we'll uh we'll just do Wednesday and Friday and probably continue that after football season because some of the sports we like to cover that's not football golf NBA college basketball I think Wednesday and Friday make the most sense to kind of preview some of those events and games so we'll start that right now with December so no more Monday show but we'll be still have Wednesday and Friday and plenty of information for everyone Plus some articles at WatchStadium.com. Yeah, quality over quantity, you know. I think that's that's what we're going to be going for for the rest of the winter. And, yeah, you're right. The articles are still going to be coming out. I'll have the NBA articles coming out. Um, and, of course, we'll still have the college football articles. You'll have your NFL articles. So we still have you covered on WatchStadium.com. Um, but, yeah, we're excited. Still going to be the same stuff. A um, lot, more, lot more quality, I think, uh, with Wednesday and Friday. We'll really get into some of these games. So, we're excited about that. And then also, Nate, an update on our best bets for the podcast. Uh, I had a fun Monday. Both yes. best bets hit. The the Bulls minus five and a half hit really easily. And uh, the Seattle and Washington football team under 47 really hit. I should have made that, you know, my lock of the century or something <laughs> like that because they uh, they really were not scoring points in Monday Night Football. Yeah, and I guess it probably helped you a little bit that, Washington didn't have a kicker and it forced them to be aggressive. <laughs> Actually, maybe it did it because they would have settled for field goals and, and extra points instead of going for two. And 
Yeah. And uh, at the end of the game, maybe Washington scores a late touchdown that's not overturned, and then maybe Seattle comes back, and who knows? Anyway, that game probably stays under anyway. I think you, the handicap that we had was worry about Russell Wilson and his finger injury lingering, and it looks like that's still an issue. And now the Seahawks at 3-8 and eight go and play the 49ers at home this week. I believe the 49ers, three-and-a-half-point favorite, three in some spots, uh, line value probably on Seattle, but after watching how they played and they know their season's over, I, I don't think we're going to get the best effort from the Seahawks. And it's hard to bet them at this point of the season. Yeah, I would not. I would not suggest putting money on the Seahawks. I would suggest maybe putting some money on the unders in the games that they play, especially on the road, since they are now six and zero on unders when they play on the road, or even like team total unders. Uh, yeah. If if you think they're just going to be completely outscored by the other team. So those are probably the good routes to go for the Seattle Seahawks. But let's uh, get into college football mode. We talked, as we said, college football stadium, college football insider Michael Felder. We talked with him all about conference championship weekend. So let's go to that interview. All right. We are joined by Michael Felder, stadium college football analyst in the bleachers on Twitter. A great follow, especially during the regular season while you're watching all your games. And it'll be continue to be a great follow this weekend for conference championship Friday and Saturday. Felder, how are you doing this morning? I'm doing fantastic. How are you guys? Pretty good. Yeah. We're uh, I'm personally kind of happy the regular season college is over. It was it was it was a bit of a slog, but I'm really excited for the for the conference title games and just kind of see how the playoff picture plays out. Cause there's three teams in the top of the, or th- th- three of the five teams that are not familiar, usual suspects in the playoff of Michigan, Cincinnati and Oklahoma state all having chances. But we wanted to talk about kind of what we talked about before the season, when there was kind of a big five in college football and three of those teams, Clemson, Ohio state and Oklahoma aren't even playing in their conference title game. So out of the ACC, Big Ten, and Big 12, which conference title matchup is most surprising to you? Um, I think on the going back to the beginning of the season, I think obviously Wake Forest winning the Atlantic uh, is the answer. But as we went through the course of the season, it was pretty clear Clemson wasn't going to be it because they didn't have any offense. So over the course of the season, that became less surprising. Um, I think Oklahoma is... Honestly, the the real real answer is probably Ohio State. I think Oklahoma is interesting, though, because they had it on their racket and they just couldn't get the job done. And they had issues at quarterback, the thing that Lincoln Riley is supposed to be the best at. And so it's going to be interesting to see how that shakes out uh, with with Oklahoma State playing against Baylor. Uh, But the real answer has got to be Ohio State because of the way that they've consistently dominated that league and and specifically that division. Yeah, I think you're, you're definitely right. Clemson is the right answer going back to before the season. Their odds to win the division was minus twenty three dollars minus twenty five hundred. So you'd have to risk twenty five dollars just Jeez. to win one dollar. So that was a real shock. Wake Forest was eighteen to one to win the division. So that was clearly the most surprising from before the season. But I think we're all really surprised that the Big Ten title game we thought going into this last past weekend was going to be Wisconsin against Ohio State. And instead it's Iowa against Michigan. So when we're looking at that Iowa-Michigan game, what are some of the matchups you're looking for? Do you think Michigan is going to have a letdown, or do you think that Iowa just isn't enough offensively to kind of threaten Michigan and Indianapolis on Saturday night? Well, I think there's a couple of different things. One, I don't think Michigan's going to have a letdown, but I do think what they did was put all their eggs in the Ohio State basket. And so 
that was their best shot. That's the best shot they're probably going to give until maybe the, in, in the playoff when they have a lot more time to work on, um, you know, coming coming up with new plays, new game plan. This is a shorter week for them. They've got to figure out what they're going to do. And the reality is their best stuff is on tape now. And Iowa's a really good film study team. Iowa's a team that's incredibly disciplined. They know what they're doing. They know who they are. And when you put everything that you can do, when you put your best stuff on tape, Iowa's going to prepare for it. So they're not going to be caught on their heels the way Ohio State was over the course of that game. Everybody keeps talking about how they out-muscled Ohio State, but the reality was it was so much misdirection, so much guys in disguise, and then a ton of um, personnel package changes that manipulated Ohio State into the fact that the Buckeyes didn't even know which linebackers to play over the course of four quarters. So I don't think you're going to get those same advantages or positives with against Iowa. I think this game's probably closer than most people expect. And the key to me is going to be how Iowa scores. How can they score? And I think that's the difference here. I think Michigan wins, but I do think it's a closer game than most people expect. And I just, I don't know. I don't care if it's Padilla or Petras. It doesn't matter. I just don't know how they score. Yeah, that was, that was kind of one of the issues for sure. And that's why we were talking about this on Monday about Iowa being 11 point underdogs, 10 and a half point underdogs. That just seems a little too high for for a team like Michigan who is coming off that Ohio State game. And then the over-under is 43.5, which seems a little high in a game like this where it seems like it's going to be a classic Big Ten slog of a game, three yards and a cloud of dust type of thing. Yeah, and yeah. I, I think Iowa, a lot of Iowa's success early in the season was forcing turnovers, scoring off turnovers. That was an Indiana game where they had two pick sixes. They had a scoop and score against Iowa State. And I'm not sure if Michigan is the team that's going to be very you know, loose and and not conservative with the ball. They're going to run the ball. McNamara is kind of the game manager. So do you think there's going to be really tough for Iowa just kind of to have success kind of forcing turnovers and maybe short fields just because of the style Michigan plays? Yeah, I mean, Michigan's playing to – they both play the same style, which is hold on to the football so that the other team can't have it. And it'll be interesting to see how it shakes itself out. Again, like they're going to work to try to rip the ball out and force fumbles. They're going to try to – force McNamara into interceptions playing that zone coverage. I think it's going to be interesting to see how he diagnoses things. But they also, the reality is, this to me feels a lot more like Iowa against Wisconsin than it does Michigan against Ohio State. And the difference is going to be Iowa can't turn the football over. In the Wisconsin game, you know, that was a game where um, they had, what did they have? They had um, three turnovers, right? So you can't do that. And if they don't turn the ball over like that against Wisconsin, we're looking at a game that's a one-score game. But they did. And so in this football game against Michigan, as long as they don't turn the ball over, I think we're looking at a very close football game because both of these teams will be very happy to punt. So we have now had two presidential elections since the last time Nick Saban's Alabama team was an underdog um, in a game. Do you think that this is a, a game where they can – cover as an underdog and do you think their offensive line is is good enough to help them pull off an upset against the best team in college football in georgia right now i think their offensive line is going to need some help but i definitely think they're good enough to pull off an upset and i do think that covering sure they can do that i just think that this is a team nick saban uh, he's a he's a man with a plan and he's been working and looking and trying to figure out this georgia team all season long He's been trying to figure out how he can beat them, what he can do to beat them. He's understood that his team is his his team is deficient in multiple areas. Uh, the offensive line, particularly the right side, is not what he wants it to be. The um, the wide receiving group 
after after Jamison Williams, they're not as threatening down the field as he wants them to be. The defensive backs are not as disciplined as he wants them to be. The linebackers aren't as tough as he wants them to be. Uh, but you do have Will Anderson, which is going to be a real problem for everybody. And so for me, I look at it, and the key for this game for folks is what does Nick Saban do that's different? And that's going to be the part that's going to be the most fascinating about this ball game is what does he do that's different? And does that mean he does he run Bryce Young a little bit? Does he work more tempo to keep Georgia's big defensive line in the game and make those guys run around? Does he go side to side to get vertical? He's going to do some different things. It's just a matter of what he does different that allows him to to, to, to give him an opportunity to win because he's not going to go out there and just get his brains beat in. And I think the other part of this equation is Kirby Smart. He's a mega conservative coach. And the idea of him really going pedal to the metal against Nick Saban, I don't think that that's going to be the case. I think it would, I would love for it to be the case. I would love for him to get Stetson Benson on the move on rollouts, all in the zone read game, put Alabama in compromise, put him in conflict. I just don't know if he's going to do it. If he wants to blow them out, that's what he should do. I just don't know if he's going to do it. Yeah, definitely. And, and at the same time of the SEC title game, we have the AAC title game between Cincinnati and Houston. Houston, a 10-and-a-half-point favorite right now. What's the mindset you think of Cincinnati while they're playing a game at the same time that Alabama's playing and they kind of are hoping that Georgia wins? But at the same time, after the college football playoff rankings, Oklahoma State right behind them at number five. And Oklahoma State has a top 10 opponent this week in Baylor. So what's kind of the mindset you think of Cincinnati and maybe possible distractions with Luke Fickle kind of taking questions internally about the Notre Dame job and what should people know about Houston because I feel like Houston pretty strong team that not a lot of people have talked about this season in the American well obviously Clayton Toon is a big deal um uh Alton McMitchell is really good uh or excuse me McCall uh, is a really good running back he's a guy that kind of came on strong a little bit later because he's a freshman and they they didn't know what they had early and so that's always a positive when you see that happen and the other big part of it for me is the fact that their defense is really good. They only give up – they give up less than 20 points a game, and I think that's something that not enough folks realize because when you think about Houston, you think about offense, they score almost 40 points a game, yada, yada, yada. But the reality of it is this is a team that plays really good defense, and, and they find ways to take the ball away. They find ways to stop you on third down. Uh, this is a team that just consistently pushes, pushes, pushes to go get to go get interceptions, to go get uh, – to force fumbles. So I think the big key is going to be the way that they – Desmond Ritter has to has to be on his he has to be on his job. He cannot throw the football to Houston because they this is a team that gets interceptions. They find ways to get in passing lanes. And when it comes to Cincinnati and distraction, every every stadium's got scoreboard. So that's the reality of the situation. They can scoreboard watch it they want, but the reality is the first thing they have to do is take care of business. They have to win. They have to win convincingly. They have to win decisively. Because if they do not it will be easier for the committee to jump Oklahoma State ahead of them and make this an all-Power 5 affair. So looking at the weekend, is there anything else you wanted to mention this for this week? Anything you're excited about? Maybe some, some game people aren't paying enough attention to or a team that you're really excited to see for this weekend? Uh, I'm, I'm really excited for Conference USA. Uh, I really... Western Kentucky and UTSA, a ton of points. Uh, I'm excited because I've been... Like, Bailey Zappi is amazing. He's got two football games left uh, this season, and he has an opportunity to score 60, to, to put up 60 touchdowns, which is insane. And I don't think, like, he has 52 touchdowns right now. 
And if you look at back-to-back games, whether it's like game one to game two or game two to game three, eight times he's thrown for eight or more touchdowns over the course of the season. So 60 is legitimately there in the pocket for him. And then I've been watching Frank Harris for a few years, and the development of him and his growth has been really fun and and exciting to see. they got Sincere McCormick, obviously. So how they handle things is going to be interesting. I'm really excited to see this game's in the Alamo Dome. Uh, That's a fun one on Friday. And – the other one for me is watching how uh, we mentioned you mentioned uh, Luke Fickle in Cincinnati and the rumors. Well, Billy Napier actually did take the Florida job. And so how Louisiana handles Appalachian State is going to be interesting because App State is a focused team and that's a proud program. So we'll see how they are because they're hunting down. They're hunting down a Sunbelt title. Yeah, one thing I wanted to ask, I know App State and Louisiana played each other this year in Louisiana beat App State, and then there's some other games, rematches from within the season two weeks ago, Oregon, Utah, they're playing the Pac-12 title. As like a former college football player, do you think it is an advantage for the team that lost the rematch in the second game, or do you think the team that won can learn a lot and kind of continue that momentum against that team in terms of rematches uh, for the second time playing each other within a season? I don't think it's an advantage for either team. I think what happens is I think what what we see are we see lazy coaching, and I don't know that that's an advantage so much as it is just the reality of the situation. Teams think, oh, what I did the first time is going to work this time, instead of self self scouting and doing something different. Uh, the biggest the biggest stage of this, of course, is was Bama LSU, and then Bama LSU in the national championship game uh, several years ago, the game of the century world, where. LSU was like, oh, a couple of the things that we did work when we ran the option with Jordan Jefferson. Let's just do more of that, and that should be enough to win. And Alabama came out with a completely different game plan, and they walked the dog on the on the Tigers in the national championship game. So I think the big key is going to be self-scouting. Lazy coaches don't self-scout. And so we'll see who's lazy, and we'll see who's focused, because I think Baylor-Oklahoma State's an interesting one uh, in terms of rematch. I think that App State-Louisiana is an interesting one in terms of rematch. Oregon-Utah might be the most most compelling of all the rematches because I don't know how you get faster and stronger and tougher after the way that Utah just punched them in the face. Like, I don't, I don't know how you yeah. correct that problem. Yeah, I was I was seeing a bunch of people thinking they were they were going to take Oregon Moneyline and Oregon plus three. And it's like I, Utah just looks so good against them. They they didn't look like they were scared by them at all or didn't look like they were. It was just an, a blowout. It was huge. Yeah, it was it was a menta- complete mentality dif- the mentality differential. I don't know how you fix that with film. Yeah, hundred percent. Well, Felder, we appreciate you coming on, uh, giving us the the rundown for this weekend. We're we're very excited for for championship weekend as well. Um, l- let people know where they can find you. You're obviously on Stadium during the week. You got a podcast and everything. Where where can people find you? Yeah, just check out uh, Campus Insider that comes on Wednesdays at six p.m. Eastern on, on WatchStadium.com/slash/live, and then of course. Uh, Tape Don't Lie, the podcast here for Stadium. You can check that one out, too. Tape Don't Lie, the podcast. We've got uh, Landry Burdine coming up this week. That comes out every Thursday. Cool. Yeah, so check that out. Landry Burdine does sidelines for TCU. He's a former um, former TCU safety. We talk a little bit about uh, manipulating the quarterback through coverages. So, yeah, those are the two things. Check those out. Uh, yeah, just check out uh, all the stuff we got going on at Stadium. Yeah, awesome. And uh, in the bleachers on Twitter as well. Yep. All right, fellas. Th- appreciate it. Thank you so much. All right, we appreciate Felder for coming on, talking to him. Nate, always fun to, to hear from him because we talked to him all the way back in August to kind of preview the season, and now we got a whole full college football season under our belt. So I think we're a little bit smarter, and, and he knows uh, 
he was able to give us some good information. Yeah, it's funny before the season how there really was the top five, the big five in college football with the two SEC schools in Alabama and Georgia who actually did make it to this weekend and are going to play. But then the three other teams, Clemson, Oklahoma, Ohio State, not even making it to their conference title games. And as I mentioned, Clemson was minus 2,500 to win their division. Wake Forest was 18-1 to to win the division, so huge upset there. Ohio State minus 380 to win their division before the season. And I'm sure before, uh, you know, during the season, they were a bigger chalk to win their division or at least win the conference where in the beginning of the season, they were minus 190 to win the Big Ten. And then the Big 12, Oklahoma to reach the final of the Big 12, where it's just the top two teams because they just play a round robin against each other throughout the conference play. Oklahoma was minus 450 just to reach the final for the Big 12 title game. And Baylor at Oklahoma State, and looking back at my notes from the preseason, Baylor's win total was five and a half. So they were just a coin flip to make a bowl game, and they were 20 to one to reach the final of the Big 12 title game. The only teams with worse odds, Texas Tech and Kansas. So a lot of shocks this weekend between those three conference title games with Michigan, Iowa, Oklahoma State, Baylor, and then Pitt against Wake Forest, which doesn't have the uh, the playoff. Uh, con- implications but i think that could be a fun game if you're just into football and into a lot of scoring because the total of that game between wake forest and pitt sam hartman and kenny pick at the quarterbacks the total 72 and a half yeah that's gonna be a really fun game i'm excited so yeah, appreciate appreciate felder coming on friend of the podcast now so we'll, we'll have him on once college football maybe for the uh maybe for the college football final maybe next season next august we'll have him on as well, but let's get to our sharp lesson shortlist. Looking at some NFL games now that uh, we are interested in for this weekend. Three NFL games to look at. We've got uh, Chargers at the Bengals. Nate Bengals minus three and a half in this one. That total is at fifty and a half. We talked a bit about this game on Monday, but now that it's Wednesday, take a little deeper look at this game and a line that you really like. Yeah, let's just go ahead and make it a best bet. Chargers plus three and a half kind of hinted at it on Monday morning, Monday shows at three at the time, maybe even some two and a half actually got out to three and a half and back to three. But there is enough three and a half out there that I'll give that out as a best bet. So Chargers plus three and a half. This is the same line that we saw last week involving the Bengals when they hosted the Steelers. And I know that the Bengals won big against the Steelers. But the Chargers two weeks ago played that same Steelers team, maybe without a few defensive players, but the Chargers were a six-and-a-half-point favorite. So the line just doesn't add up. There's a lot of recency bias in this number based on the results of last week with the Bengals blowing out the Steelers and then the Chargers losing to the Broncos in a game where I had the Broncos and didn't expect the Chargers to play well. So I like the Chargers here in the underdog role to bounce back. Take the plus three-and-a-half. It's fine at plus three. I think the Chargers are going to win this game against the Bengals and kind of get their season back on track. I like it. I think this is a really good line to hit the Chargers. And I think, yeah, Bengals probably a little overvalued at this point after that Steelers win. And the Steelers are terrible. So I 100% agree with you there. I think this is a really – I like the Chargers as an underdog. I can't trust them as favorites. They don't – they just don't come through when they're favorites. But underdog spot, it's great. Yeah, I, I agree with that, and I, I would also advocate a bet on the money line, like a quarter of what you would, would bet, your quarter of your stake on the money line just because it is a, a small spread. 
looks like plus 150 is the prevailing number. So Chargers will grade as a best bet at plus three and a half. Bet it at that up to three and also the money line on the Los Angeles Chargers for Sunday afternoon against the Cincinnati Bengals. Broncos at the Chiefs. This was flexed to a Sunday night football game, which I think will be pretty fun. These games usually end up being pretty entertaining, but the Chiefs are laying 10. That total is at 47. And you know me, Nate, when I see the Chiefs as a favorite, especially as a double-digit favorite, I am going to fade them. Um, and I know the Chiefs have looked better. Mahomes has looked better. They they have the confidence and swagger of that old Chiefs Super Bowl team back again, it seems like. But I don't know if I can trust them as double-digit favorites. Yeah, and I mean, I guess they're coming off a bye, so let's get that out of the way. And the big thing we're going to hear all week, Andy Reid, 19-3 and in the regular season off the bye as a head coach, 14-8 and against the number, so very strong team to, to likely win the game. But yep. now you're laying 10 I'm just looking right now at the NFL board and looks like some nine and a halfs are kind of showing on a Wednesday morning and the total at 47 has gone down. So there has been money on the under. I would like the Broncos as well at plus 10. And, and you mentioned maybe the Chiefs got their swagger back. All they did really was beat the Raiders. Um, and then <laughs> before the bye week, they yeah. beat the Cowboys, but it was like 19 to nine and their offense outside of the opening script didn't really do much. It was their defense that played very strong, and it was a Cowboys team that had some offensive line injuries. No Amari Cooper, CeeDee Lamb gets hurt right before halftime, so it was kind of a banged-up, not the best Cowboys unit that we were used to seeing in Dallas. So I think that uh, there's a bit of a, I don't know, not overreaction or like a perception that the Chiefs are back, but I'm not totally on board with that. And the Broncos are a team very strong in the underdog role, especially Teddy Bridgewater historically. And I know he got banged up last week, so I want to make sure he's definitely playing. I think the line indicates that he will play. Hopefully he is healthy and near 100%. But as long as Bridgewater's good to go, I'll likely use the Broncos in contests. And if it's plus 10, I'll be betting on Denver for the Sunday night game. Yeah, I was impressed with how they played against the Chargers. I really was. And and I know... The Chargers have been very disappointing the past couple of weeks. That's why I think that underdog spot's a good spot for them this week. But I mean, their defense looked really good. Their their offense moved the ball well, and it's not that Chargers defense is really really bad. So I don't think you can take a ton from how good that offense looked. But their defense looks solid, and if their defense can play really well, the Chiefs if they just can't get their game plan going, they they do sometimes struggle to improvise in situations like that. It seems like they they're kind of hard headed. At least this season and the past season and a half, we have seen them kind of really struggle to get out of a rut if they dig themselves in too deep with a struggling offense. So that's why I'm a little worried with that double-digit favorite. Um, I would definitely take the Broncos at, at plus 10 for this one. And I would still – I know the, the total has gone lower and lower, but I would still probably take the under in this one. Yeah. Um, I, I Chiefs offense can be up or down. Bronco has, Broncos have a good defense. I don't necessarily trust their offense to be consistently good across the board after a good week last week. So – the under seems like a pretty solid play, too. Yeah, definitely. I think there's a lot of correlation, if you like the Broncos, that the under kind of has to come through just based on the makeup yeah. of the team where they have a game manager quarterback, a defensive-minded head coach in Vic Fangio. So it's kind of correlated, I believe, where if you don't feel comfortable betting against the Chiefs, I think betting against their offense for at least one more week isn't a bad way to play this game. 
Monday Night Football. Patriots at the Bills, a classic Monday Night Football matchup that's going to be taking place in Buffalo with the Bills laying three. Forty-three and a half is the total. Uh, this is going to be really fun because the Patriots have looked actually formidable this season. And oh, yeah. The Bills got back on track on Thanksgiving. They looked really good. They they had a fun blowout win against the, the Saints. So I think this is going to be a really fun game, division game, a rivalry. We know how much these, these fan bases hate each other. So with the Bills laying three, small number at home, do you like the side in this one? Yeah, so first off, I want to say we usually don't talk about Monday games, especially on a Wednesday, but because we aren't going to have a Monday show, we wanted to, I wanted to bring this up because it's such a big game. But we'll also preview this game at the end of uh, Friday's show. We'll start doing that where we do a, a short Monday night preview at, at the end of Friday's show. But So we'll touch on this game again. But as I mentioned, this is the game of the week for first place in the AFC East. In terms of a side... Um, man, this is tough. Ben, it's tough. Honestly. It's a tough it's line. Like, I think it's like I can make a case for either team. Let's just say that yep. it yep. was as low as Patriots minus two and a half. So I think kind of that is the the low point, I guess. If you want to back Buffalo two and a half, and now it's up to three in some spots. There's still some two and a half. So depending on where you shop, I will say I, even though the total is low, and I know the total has gone down this week. I'd be wary about teasing the Patriots, even though it makes sense potentially to tease them up through three and seven if they were only a two and a half point underdog. The way the Bills have played this season has been a lot of variance where all 15, all seven of their wins this season have been by 15 points or more. So I could see a situation where if the Bills are playing well, they end up maybe blowing out the Patriots because they could blow on any team. But if they're not playing well, then the Patriots could win straight up or at least cover a short number. So I think I would avoid teasing this game, especially since it's a Monday night game and probably going to need some stuff to come in Sunday. And I, I like waiting the day of to make teasers sometimes, especially if I don't think the game is going to move. But, uh, yeah, I don't know. What do you think, Ben? Because I, I, I'm having a lot of trouble with this game where I can kind of make a case for both sides. Yeah, I'm I'm eyeing that total um, uh, more than a side because you're, you're right. It's yeah. I mean, it's either gonna. I, I I really do think it'll either be a Bills blowout or they're gonna lose. I, I don't know if like it's like <laughs> right. Bills win by a field goal to win by one point. You know, I I don't I don't think that's the type of game we're gonna get necessarily because that's just not the way Bills games have gone. Like you said, yeah. and it's not really the way Patriots games have gone either. So it's I I think it's either a Bills blowout. Or Patriots win uh, for me, but I do kind of like the under, or excuse me, the over in this one. Um, okay, these these are these are two teams that have shown they can score, um, and I know the Bills defense has been really good this season, but when they play actual decent, capable, competent offenses, which I think we have seen, the Patriots have have turned into a, a pretty decent offense. They give up points. So, I mean, they gave up, what, nine against the Jaguars, 17 against the Jets, six against the Saints. Patriots offense is better than those three teams, for sure. So I, I can see this game hitting the mid-40s. And so it being, you know, 43 and a half seems a little, a little low, a little low to me. I would I would kind of push back on that. The total has gone down, and I agree with that. And I don't know if it's a more of a matchup thing, the reason it's gone down, or if it's a weather thing. I just quickly looked at the weather for Buffalo Monday night. It looks like a chance of uh, 
chance of rain, which could become snow if it gets cold enough, but also wind potentially 20 miles per hour. And it's obviously five days in advance, so a lot could change. But I wonder if the total's gone down based on the early weather report. And this Definitely being possible. a division game where there is some familiarity between the, the coaches and, and some of the players, and this is going to be a tightly contested game. And I think that's going to be kind of conservative starts for both teams um, in Western New York on Monday night. All right, let's do situations of the week. What's the situation? We've got some classic hangover yeah. games. Lousy hangover. Nate in Oklahoma State and Michigan, Oklahoma, or Oklahoma State coming off their win against Oklahoma. Michigan coming off their win against Ohio State. So these are two classic hangover situations for these two teams heading into their conference championships. Yeah, it's it's hard to like say that these teams are going to have a letdown because they're now playing for their conference championships. Where if yeah. they win, in Michigan's case, they will make the college football playoff, and if Oklahoma State wins, they'll at least have a shot to be in the Final Four. And we talk, especially Michigan, like Felder mentioned, doesn't think they're going to have a letdown. But both teams, like Michigan, played their ceiling game. They played their A game. So I'm not going to expect them to play that well again seven days removed from a program-defining win where they had a crazy field storm. And that wasn't just a win, a normal win against a rival. That was a rival who has owned them the last 15, 20 years. And then in Oklahoma yeah. State's case, Oklahoma has owned them the last 10 years for sure. And if you go look even further, Oklahoma has dominated the Bedlam rivalry and big deal because Oklahoma is now leaving for the SEC. So there's not going to be many of those games left between Oklahoma state and Oklahoma. So just one of the things I want to include maybe as an ode to the uh, situations of the week, since they've been pretty good this week, but anytime a team wins a game where the fans storm the field or it was a big rivalry win, in this case, we have both with Oklahoma state and Michigan expect maybe a little bit of a letdown the game after the only problem is it's not just any game it's the conference title game with it is. playoff implications so i wouldn't blindly bet against michigan and oklahoma state this week but if the number is big enough or there's a live opportunity while you're watching the game i wouldn't be uh, afraid to back either baylor against oklahoma state or iowa um Iowa's tempting i'm not gonna lie i was very tempting very very i'm tempting. also worried if they get down 14 nothing it's gonna be uh curtains and indy and they won't be able to score yeah that's that's uh yeah we'll talk out that game in a second for our talk it out because i have another angle on that yeah. one let's do sandwich game Sandwich. uh one team la rams in the nfl for a sandwich game and you know, I don't know how much sandwich games really affect NFL teams a ton, but this is a pretty good one because they're coming off a loss against the Packers in Green Bay. Didn't look great. A lot of question marks about the L.A. Rams. Next week they play the Cardinals in, you know, as a classic division foe for them. But this week they play the Jaguars. So they kind of it's not a bye week per se, but it's it's a week that they don't have to give everything in their all just like they had against the Packers and then even the 49ers in the week before that. So. This is kind of a classic sandwich type of game for the Rams. It is, but the reason why I'm definitely not going to bet against the Rams and actually might bet on the Rams is because of the three-game losing streak that they are on. Yep. And losing to the Packers, closing as a favorite in Green Bay, coming off a bye. I think the Rams are going to really be focused in on this game and not overlook the Cardinals coming up on that Monday night football next week. 
So actually, even though the sandwich says to not play the Rams, I actually kind of like the Rams at under two touchdowns, thinking like they are going to want to bounce back and maybe we're getting them at their lowest point playing the Jaguars. And I mean, I could not bet on the Jaguars at all. No, I mean, don't just, do that. I, I, I did that once off their bye week when they oh, played God. the Seahawks, and I thought it would be a letdown Smith for, for Geno Smith and company, and uh, that worked out horribly. And now we <laughs> also have Urban Meyer being asked about Notre Dame, and he said no, but who knows how focused he is on a cross-country trip with, with a team that is and 2-9 this season. So actually, even though the Rams fit into the uh, the sandwich trap, I guess I, I would actually look at to play the Rams and in a contest where I need set five to seven sides and I'm kind of struggling this week. Uh, the Rams are definitely viable as long as Matthew Stafford is healthy, which could be a big question mark and what might keep me off the Rams ultimately. Yeah. Uh, then we have that look ahead game for the Buccaneers. They play the Bills yeah. next week and they play right. the Falcons this week. Yeah, so it's kind of weird to say that a team is overlooking a division opponent, <laughs> especially a division opponent that is, yeah. I guess, tied for the last wild card spot. Uh, they're not in it based on tiebreakers, but the Falcons are five and six. And the Buccaneers, I don't know if, if they're going to be looking ahead to a out-of-conference game next week, but they do have a big home game in kind of the prime afternoon spot against the Buffalo Bills. So I guess that's going to be a really good spot for Tampa because they're catching the Bills off a short week with travel against the Patriots. So I'm sure uh, Tom Brady will be rooting for his former team to kind of beat up the Bills on that Monday night game, uh, just kind of looking ahead. But I guess it's hard to back back uh, or make a reason to like say the Bucks are going to overlook a division opponent with Tom Brady at quarterback. However, at plus eleven, that just seems like such a high number it does. for the Buccaneers. I know Falcons don't have much of a home field advantage, but just like a numbers play, I feel like the Buccaneers are a little inflated here against a Falcons team. That still has something to play for. It's not like they're just playing out the string and trying to figure out their future. Like they're think that they have a chance to make the playoffs. So I don't know if the look ahead angle is the reason I'd be on the Buck or on the Falcons. Pardon me, with the Bucks potentially looking ahead, but I think I might end up on the Falcons with a small bet this week. Yeah, I, I like that bet a lot, uh, and I know. I mean, the Buccaneers are really good, but. They could only be. It's the NFL, and you're gonna you're gonna find pushback at some point. And why not the Falcons? I hate betting on the Falcons. I don't think I'm gonna hit that bet because the Falcons have burned me so much in the yeah. past couple years. So I may stay away, but I definitely don't think I would bet the Buccaneers. Uh, to be quite honest, let's talk it out, Nate. There's only one thing I want you fellas to do. What's that? Talk me out of it. Before we end the podcast, a couple bets we wanted to get out there, talk it amongst ourselves because uh, we're thinking about betting some sides in this one. What do you want to talk out about Alabama? Yeah, I just kind of want to. I've been thinking all week if I should bet Alabama or not in the SC title game. And we talked mm -hmm. about it on the show on Monday, how this is the first time a Nick Saban team is an underdog since 2015, as you mentioned, two presidential elections ago, and yeah. it's up to six and a half now. Total has dropped to 49 and a half. I think the total does make a lot of sense, especially if you if you like Alabama. Just it's pretty correlated where if Alabama is going to cover, not sure if it's going to get into a shootout. And, and I think Felder made a great point that Kirby Smart 
and he's a great recruiter, and he's put together a very talented team, but he's still very conservative, a head coach. And just asking his team that's already secured a spot in the playoff to win by over a touchdown against an Alabama team that is in an you know unfamiliar underdog role, but Nick Saban knows his team is kind of against it and probably going to get Alabama's best effort off a really terrible performance against Auburn. It just makes a lot of sense to back Alabama. My concern, though, would be their offensive line, especially, as Felder said, the right side of the line against Georgia's defensive line, maybe not giving Bryce Young any time. I mean, Auburn was able to get to Bryce Young and make his life a living hell on Saturday in the Iron Bowl. I can't imagine what George is going to do in a neutral site game where there's going to be plenty of dogs fans in attendance. So Alabama plus six and a half, kind of like I'm waiting to see if I can get plus seven. But in terms of size for college football conference title game, I think that is the one that's most intriguing to me, along, I guess, with the under in that game, even though it is on a fast track in Atlanta. I may have to go with the classic back to the well scenario, Alabama first half. Uh, I think they can. I, I hope they win the game. <laughs> I, I hope they win the game. But I, I may do Alabama first half. A little that, sprinkle on the money line first well, half for Alabama. Uh, I, I. So the, the the fun part about the Alabama first half was they were a big. They'd be a favorite in the game. They'd blow the team out in 30 minutes. The other team would come out. This is like a totally throw up, throw all that mindset out the window because this is the first time they're an underdog since 2015. Yeah. I think it's 92 games. So I, I think the, the Alabama first half was really good when it was Mac Jones, Devontae Smith, half a season of Jalen Waddell, Najee Harris, and a very strong offensive line. This Alabama team has not covered first half lines and in the underdog role. I guess maybe you could bet them if you think they could, if you like Alabama full game, then you probably would also bet them first half, but I wouldn't bet them first half for the reasons that we, we used to like Alabama first half just because they would clobber teams early and then step off the gas in the second half. So the game that I wanted to talk out, the Michigan-Iowa game, as we kind of talked a bit with Felder, I like the under, or I, I, I like the under in this one, I think. Michigan-Iowa, we saw Michigan be able to score, and we have seen Iowa not be able to score. And I think, like you said, Michigan is coming off probably the best game they have played all season long. This is the game where they gave their all. It was the game they game planned for all season long. So this game... I'm expecting less offense from Michigan for sure. We're not going to get offense from Iowa. We already know that Michigan's deep Michigan's defense is a too good. And Iowa's offense is B really bad. I think we get it under. I think it's a, a classic big 10 game where we see 30 points, 35 points between the two teams. Um, I don't think, and I don't think Michigan covers the, the double digit spread. I, I would probably lean toward Iowa, but I'm not, strongly opinionated enough on the side there to, to pick one but i do like the under um i think is is a play that i'm going to do just it makes sense to me in a game like this especially after the game michigan had against Iowa, ohio state are you worried at all that you said kind of classic big 10 game that the conditions are going to be perfect it's not going to be cold snowy windy that it is on a track uh, turf field in indianapolis and it's going to be a uh, calm and room temperature or whatever and uh, yeah. maybe that that won't affect the uh, offenses as much as it usually does in Big Ten I, games. Yeah, I, I think that's a little bit of a worry, but I trust Iowa's defense 
to be good. And, and I know they their whole thing is forcing turnovers, which I honestly think that helps in this situation where Michigan probably isn't going to throw a ton. So Iowa can't force those interception turnovers, which I think honestly helps the under a bit more because what would happen is Iowa would pick it off and they would have a short field and it would be yep. easy for them to score. It would be easy to put up points. So if they're not going to be able to get those interceptions, they're still a very good defense. So we may be able to see longer drives, Michigan running the ball, taking up five, six minutes of drives and, you know, Iowa trying. And even if they have two minute, three minute drives, they're not going to be able to score. So I, the under just seems like the pretty solid play here and the perfect conditions weather wise. I, I, I feel like it's built in just a little bit um, to this. Maybe it adds, I, maybe they added a couple points to the total. If this was outside at, at Iowa or at Michigan where it's 30 degrees and a little bit windy, maybe some snow, we might see it in the high thirties. So I think it's built in a bit to this line. So I, I still like, I still like the under for this one. And it, it, I don't know if it's a best bet. Maybe I'll make it a best bet on, on Friday, but I'm really leaning towards the under. Yeah, I'm, I'm having trouble with best bets for college football this week. Like, I think I can make a case for some of the sides and, and the totals, specifically the unders. I think the Oklahoma State Baylor under makes a lot of sense. Um, I know it's moved yeah. a little bit, and I'm kind of waiting to see if uh, Jerry Bohannon, the quarterback for Baylor, comes back from his hamstring injury and maybe a, a boost up a little bit. But, yeah, I, I'm interested to see kind of what we have in store for Friday because uh, I think there's a lot of decision-making still I have to make. And I think the Felder interview is great. I like how he said how Iowa and, and Michigan kind of play similar styles. So that might make sense for the under just because we're not going to see on paper. We shouldn't see as many turnovers or just the way you'd think about that game and how it play out. So yeah. interested to see what happens on Friday show and where we go with our best bets. And then we'll have I'm an excited. article on Friday too with Alex and Kate breaking down conference title week. Yep. I'm excited. And if you want my NBA best bets, that article is out on watchstadium.com. Um, you get, I go through, I usually pick five, uh, five or six NBA games, bets that I like for Wednesday night. So check that out for my NBA best bets, but that'll do it for us today. We want to thank Michael Felder again for coming on talking college football. We will be back on Friday. Our best bets for conference title weekend. It's exciting. We'll see you then.